what do we want to create? Do we want to create from a place of love or fear? And so they are connected. Um, and but also with regard to our own body, how do we surrender into the, you know, it, as a woman, the receptivity of pleasure? Um, and it, that does, if we feel safe and if we feel, if we, we can do that in by virtue of feeling safe, but in order to feel safe, we have to, in a sense, come to a place where we're not just receiving unconditional love from the outside, but that where we feel like we have our own back. Yeah. We have ourselves yeah. in our own arms. And that's the ultimate safety, you know, because yeah. the rest is, it, it it's wonderful, but it is also correlated with our own love of ourself. In other words, if you think of the heart, and this is a lot of the beautiful work done by the Heart Math Institute, it really highlights that the heart is the most magnetic aspect of our being. So what's in our heart is what shows up in our reality. So we want to become conscious of what's in our heart. But if we are self-loving, if we have our own back, if we celebrate ourselves unapologetically, um, then that's the kind of energy that shows up around us, that mirrors, you know, that, that, that reflects our own inner feelings. So the relationships we have start to mirror that, you know? Yeah. So it doesn't really start with it. Kingsbury. I'm Jesse Golden. Hi, I'm Kelly Brogan, MD. I'm Marin Green, and this is the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. Far back as 3500 BC, Mesopotamia, ancient Sumer, this is really the earliest written human history that we can use to deduce what things were like way back in the day. And really ancient Sumer could be regarded as the root, um, as where the roots of Western healing systems, not the Greeks and Romans, but ancient Sumer, where those healing systems started to arise. Now I'm looking at this through the, the lens of European practices in medicine, what we call Western medicine. So bear with me on that. There, back at, in that time, it was very polytheistic. It was not just like a man in the clouds, right, overseeing the abundance and the bounty of earth. It was far more, I think, reflective of what our direct experience is with life. Now, if, if you're a Christian and that offends you, I'm, I'm very sorry. But the, the purpose of this interview is actually to open up our our, um, our hearts to the various horizons that might emerge when we look back at how some of these more ancient human civilizations honored the feminine. So to the Sumerians, Inanna, was, who was also known as Ishtar um, by the Assyrians, she was known as queen of the heaven, queen of heaven and earth, the morning star. She was this cosmic force propelling order and civilization and her, her temple was the house of heaven. Sounds very similar um, if you're familiar with Christian theology, which many people listening to this show probably are. But the creation myth in ancient Mesopotamia was far different. It involved both sexes, and the female gave birth to the world. So as a result, the Sumerians engaged in sex in the spring, and as new green shoots pushed up through the soil, this is when everybody was copulating in order to you know, implant the seeds, so to speak, of the next generation of children who were going to come into these civilizations. There was this union of male and female, and that was, an, that was enacted through intercourse to encourage the birth and growth of all life, 
right in alignment with spring and all these sh new shoots that were coming up. This represented the trinity of love, healing, and birth. This was all the domain of Inanna. The votaries to Inanna would choose their male consorts and explicitly, actively, and skillfully engage in making love to them. Here's a hymn from the time. He shaped my loins with his fair hands. The shepherd, Dumuzi, filled my lap with cream and milk. He stroked my pubic hair. He watered my womb. He laid his hands on my holy vulva. He smoothed my black boat with cream. He quickened my narrow boat with milk. He caressed me on the bed. Now I will caress my high priest on the bed. I will caress, caress the faithful shepherd, Dumuzi. I will caress his loins, the shepherdship of the land. I will decree a sweet fate for him. Mm. As we start to move forward in time from here, we see a, tr a very dramatic shift from polytheistic or even dualistic. Um, well, let's not call it dualistic because that still kind of in invokes this idea of, of good and evil. But in polytheistic times, women were inextricably linked with nature. So this is also the domain of Inanna. And as time progressed, we saw the power, I mean, the, the beauty that is expressed in hymns like this, we saw it suppressed and squashed and sort of replaced with other stories that were full of sin and, you know, the, the um, transgressions of Eve, you know, in, in, in the Garden of Eden. And that has really become sort of the stories, I think, that that, that de very deterministically have kind of shaped our society. Well, what if we could go back and try to reimagine what life might be like if this goddess Inanna in all of her glory and female sexuality and the female, the magical powers of the feminine to create life in alignment with what we see happening in the spring here in Kentucky. What if we were to go back and, and, and rewrite the story of human history based on that versus the, the um, Christian dogma that man is separate from nature and this oppression of nature, this war against nature is the only way forward through the lens of progress. These stories that we tell ourselves and the myths, myths like that of Inanna, I think provide a lot of therapeutic benefit to the many, many ills and maladies that we're seeing in contemporary society. When my guest today reached out to me, she had listened to a solo cast I had done on a, um, a briefish history of Western medicine and women healers. And she said, can I send you my book? And she sent her book and I was like, sure, I love, I love receiving books. She sent me her book, which is called um, The Way of Inanna, A Heroine's Guide to Living Unapologetically. And I was like, this looks good. And I know about Inanna. I just did some deep research about her. And I read, did this solo cast. And I read it in like an afternoon. And I was like, Shauna, this is amazing. She said, do you want to come on my podcast? And we did that. And we stayed in touch here and there. But I've gone back and revisited her work. And I feel very, very um, compelled to say that I don't know if there's another way forward. I think embracing this balance between the feminine and the masculine is actually the way forward. I think that may be the new wave of feminism or the opposite of feminism. I actually think there's a lot here, no matter how you have seen the world. I think that Shauna, who by the way, is a licensed independent um, clinical social worker 
who does psychotherapy and like this is her whole jam she was living in her masculine as a triathlete similar to me and um, similar to Emily Abbott, who's also been on the show, a former high top, top level CrossFit performer, having to then embrace her feminine, despite all of these stories that are told about the weakness, about the, um, the, the sin, the sinful nature of the feminine and all of her sexuality and all of her procreative powers, embracing that despite the stories we've been told, there is a tremendous power in there. That's a reclamation of not just power, but also our connection to one another and our connection to ourself. And in some ways, kind of cutting the tether we have through resentment, through um, shame, through guilt, that these stories have, have sort of perpetrated upon us. I'm speaking you know, directly to women, but both men and women have these feminine and masculine properties. So of course, Shauna is a perfect fit for the Holistic OBGYN podcast. So you're going to love this one. We do have one sponsor for the show, which is Immune Intel AHCC. Talk about connecting to nature. This product has been demonstrated to clear persistent HPV in innumerable women. Um, they're in phase two trials. There was a recent study out of Texas that showed that without a doubt, this is a whole food supplement that in its form, in this formulation at Immune Intel AHCC, you're going to get a boosting of your NK cells, your other T cells. You're going to help integrate the message of viruses and um, clear HPV, but also clear precancerous cells. It's been used to treat um, treatment-resistant epilepsy, autoimmune conditions, liver disease, a variety of other conditions. This is one of those things where I, I don't want to say it's a magic cure, but it certainly is an incredibly effective adjuvant to whatever you're already doing in order to live your optimal life, especially if your OBGYN has scared you into thinking you're going to die of cervical cancer because your you know, pesky HPV screen came back positive or your pap smear was abnormal. So Immune Intel HCC, so, uh, HCC stands for Active Hexose Correlated Compound. It's made from the mycelia of shiitake mushrooms. And the mycelia underneath our feet, in the soil, in our gardens, in the woods, gosh, in and around the foundation of our house, these mycelia are everywhere and they connect everything in nature. There's this, it's like the internet, uh, the original internet. And I think that's why it does such a good job of increasing the connectivity and intercommunication between your immune cells. So if you want to try this product out, I take a bottle every four months just as like a prophylactic measure. If I had HPV and I was worried about getting a leap or maybe an, a, another painful biopsy, I might be doubling up my dose and taking it consistently at a high dose for three to four months before the repeat screen. That's how I'd recommend doing this. This is why this has been such a, um, a highly uh, advertised, like we've been talking about it quite a bit, but it's also a big part of the program that you'll receive if you join us in the Clear and Free um, family. That's your holistic solution to persistent HPV. You can find out more information at clearhpv.com. I've also talked about it in the Born Free Method, bornfreemethod.com if you want to learn everything that you could possibly want to know about pregnancy, childbirth, and postpartum. Um, the woman behind this product, her name is Mimi Lindquist. She has an incredible podcast called The Medicine. And if you want to check out this product and get some for yourself at a discount, go to themedicine.com slash products. And medicine has no E at the end. So it's T-H-E-M-E-D-I-C-I-N.com slash products. And use code BELOVED10. You'll save 10% on your purchase.
Thank you, the medicine team, Chase and Mimi, for continuing to support the podcast. They're my only sponsor now because I've cut ties with all of the others because I'm tired of reading ads, but I have absolutely zero qualms about putting out positive vibes, good energy around this product because I really, really believe in it. So I make no money from commissions. It's a discount code in order for you to get a discount on an a um, on a just an exceptional an exceptional supplement out there. All right, um, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If anything sticks with you, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Go leave a review on Spotify. Follow us on YouTube. Um, you can see the beautiful Shauna, Shauna Zelazo um, in the flesh um, on our call throughout this interview. And um, share these episodes with your friends. Believe it or not, it really, really matters. So I've talked enough. Please enjoy this conversation with author and social worker, psychotherapist, the amazing Shauna Zelazo. Shauna, welcome to my humble podcast. It's great to see you again. I am so grateful to be here. Thank you for having me. It was about a year ago because I, I remember where I was and where I was sitting when uh, you interviewed me on your podcast, which for those who don't know, is called The Unapologetic Heroine. And um, you had interviewed me because of some stories that I was telling around the morning star, Inanna Ishtar. And this ancient Sumerian goddess has, I think, probably had more influence in our gender conformity. And guys, we're not talking about trans rights and all that. We're talking about actually the way that the feminine is experienced and expressed in our society. And you were like, Nathan, read my book, come on my podcast. And I remember reading it. I read it again whenever I invited you to come back. And this might be the most important conversation that I think isn't happening within the women's healthcare space. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And what I'd like to start with, Shauna, is what is a myth and how do myths serve us or how do they serve as a detriment to our um, showing up in the world? Oh, I love this question so much. So thank you for asking this. Um, I would start by sort of giving a traditional explanation of myth, which really is a story about often what is often considered historical events um, and, and helping it helps us understand or it's aiming to help us understand cultural, social, even supernatural phenomena, experiences, beliefs. Um, and ultimately, I see myth as, I do think it serves us. I mean, I think there are definitely myths that were, were had an agenda behind them historically that um, um, were maybe not the most supportive. But um, what I do love about myth is that to me, it's, it's a, a little bit like abstract art in the sense that it's really interpreted, it's meant to be, in my understanding, interpreted by the, the reader themselves. And so, and it speaks to why I love myth is because to me, it's a little bit like living medicine. It speaks to the plasticity of consciousness, of our brains, of our, of our souls, the expansion, because the, the way that we interpret the myths shifts over time, right? As our consciousness evolves. Um, and why I think it's a lot like um, art or abstract art in particular is because it's really 
meant to say it's like an orienting principle in my in my opinion and i do think i think the gods goddesses the angelic realm the higher dimensional beings that these myths are often about i do think they they are in a sense in sort of um bringing these these myths through the artist or the the mythographer um it's almost like channeled through for us for for humanity to have an orienting principle that is not telling us it is this way or this way, but rather it is saying here is here is a narrative where you may find yourself in, you may see yourself in this narrative. And it's really just showing us, to, um, you know, a way into our own heart and that that then becomes the directional um, signal for us that that myths can can assist us in making meaning. And the meaning almost always brings us ultimately back into our own heart. And then that's the place from which we can move. Yeah. So I, I love myth. I love, I love how it expands. Um, and I think we do live inside of stories, Nathan. I think we, there are narratives all around us. You as, as, as an OBGYN, you, you know, the body, you know, the body is linguistic and it's telling a story. So to, to orient ourselves in the construct of narratives, I think is really empowering because we can then remember that we can write it. We can write our own narrative. We can write our own story and write the direction that we wish to go. Yeah. So I think it can serve us for sure. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, we're going to get through it. I'm, I'm going to list off a, a number of myths, I think, that we tell about ourselves and around, especially women and healing and birth and all of that. But um, before I do, I'll, I'll just as a, a very direct ex example of, of what you're describing here is I think even the story um, or even the myth of disease is kind of an interesting one, right? Now, what I'm not saying, everybody listening, is that disease is not real, that cancer is not real, that if you just believe that you're going to live forever, you're going to live forever. That's actually another myth that we're actually playing out in this whole longevity science space where we're unwilling to even confront mortality. But that aside, when a person gets, let's say, a parasitic infection, I just got off the phone with my mentor. I'm, I'm studying for my third certificate, my third board certification, so to speak, which is in anthroposophic medicine, um, which is really through the lens of Rudolf Steiner, who, who developed the principles of biodynamic farming and Waldorf education, as well as anthroposophic medicine. And this guy was definitely channeling from afar. I mean, like if you listen to Steiner, it doesn't really make much sense until you do like a deep meditation or even do some dreaming into it. And you're like, oh, I see what he was doing there, right? And he actually almost speaks in myths. Mm. And um, so I'm on the phone with my mentor and I, my daughter has a blastocystis hominis infection, which is a parasite. It's a protozoal infection inside the gut. And it was so... I try to steer away from this like sort of treatment mindset that doctors have, where it's like, you have the problem, here's the fix. You have a problem here, here's the medication, here's the surgery, whatever else. That may be a part of your acute treatment to save your life. But on the other hand, what's what story is playing out here? And my mentor actually prompted me to think about what does a an uninvited guest living inside your intestines, what does it actually mean? And she was like, maybe we need to support her her development of I in order to her to have more clear boundaries around this is me and that is you. Maybe that's why these helminths and these protozoas and all these, these worms, these parasites, so to speak, maybe they're not bad guys. Maybe they're actually just a reflection that we need to set better boundaries between self and others, the inside and the outside, above and below. And so what we're talking about here, I mean, granted, you are a, a licensed independent clinical social worker. Do I have that correct? Got it right. 
So you can do psychoanalysis, which is actually very, very deeply rooted in the work of Carl Jung and a lot of the archetypal work that I think is so important for people that are struggling with some sort of disease or a um, they're kind of off the, the, the path of, of wherever they were trying to go. And so the reason I say that little story is that we can apply the myths and the stories that we tell ourselves around fertility, around childbirth, around menopause, and pretty much everything in between. So um, a couple big myths that I know are a very, very deeply rooted part of our system. Women are weak. Women, women are lesser. It's a dog-eat-dog world. Bad things always happen to me. Um, we need doctors and technology to heal X, Y, or Z. Women are unhygienic sinners. So <laughs> take all of those little tiny stories, and you could date this all the way back to early ancient um, written history, written human history. And and I, I think it's a really, really appropriate time before we get into how these myths might be contributing to s some of the conversations around our complex gender roles and, and what's evolving here, especially in the United States, or really worldwide, and has been for centuries. Um, let's get into Inanna. The title of your book is The Way of Inanna, A Heroine's Guide to Living Unapologetically. What is the story of, of Inanna, and how is she generally symbolically represented in, um, in when, when people go inward and they, they come up with something on a canvas? Like, what is coming through when, when you think and you feel into the, the essence of Inanna? Well, I love everything you just said because I, you're truly speaking my language, especially around sort of discerning what is really behind, um, you know, dis-ease or what is, what is whatever is, what is behind anything. I mean, reading the landscape in general yeah, yeah. and hearing what is the conversation that's actually, to your point, in support of our evolution, right? That yeah. there's something that we're negotiating. Um, we can return to that, but I love, I love this uh, it sort of um, setting the stage for Inanna. She is, um, she is an ancient Sumerian goddess who is has multiple epitaphs. So she that really captures her multidimensionality, which I think is so significant. So when I when I think of her from a visual perspective, I see multiple images um, because that really is her essence. She's known as the goddess of love and war, which also captures her polarities. Totally. Um, Right. She's the it's like pain and pleasure, that fine line between love and war. Oh, it's like palpable. We all know it. And it's 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 hard to talk about that. But that's very, very true. Go on. Absolutely. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why she's insisting on sort of being remembered at this time, because it is happening. I mean, there are m multiple people talking about her. I even read something around a, 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 someone correlated the story of the movie Barbie with um, Inanna and Demuzi. So, I mean, she is back and she is insisting on this because she embodies her multidimensionality. She's also known as Venus. She became known as Ishtar. Um, so the morning and the evening star is one of her epitaphs as Venus the goddess of thunderstorms and rain. Um, she's been known as a goddess of justice. She's a fertility goddess, but also she is a goddess of the death mysteries, which is really that particular title speaks to her myth, the descent of Inanna. Um, so she, she also refuses to be bound. And that's sort of why she is like myth itself in the sense that she is not fixed. Um, she doesn't want to be defined just as one thing. And 
um, she she really, I, I can feel her energy sort of pushing back against limitation in any way. So she really represents the liminal, um, which is just one of my favorite spaces to, in which to reside in general, um, that liminal space, because it's it's it, it offers, it really reminds us of our creative expression and says, so who are you, you know? And in that liminal space, what is becoming? Um, and so she's, she, so visually she's often depicted um, with her foot um, on a, a lion, uh, with her beautiful robe of ascension sort of cut way high up to her holy vulva, um, drawing the viewer's gaze to this powerful sacred center of hers, really emphasizing her, her, her second chakra. Um, she's often depicted with the crown of the steps on her head, um, and she has certain spiritual accoutrements that she holds and carries with her into the underworld. So she's often depicted with those. Sometimes she has seen um, the cuneiform expression of her um, was reed posts. So she's, she's, which is symbolic of the liminal, um, that the reeds that grow between the water and the, you know, the earth. And so that marshland energy. Um, so reeds are often part of her mythology and the eight pointed star as well. So lots of visual <laughs> depictions of her, but she doesn't like to be bound. That's one of the biggest things in her, her, the fact that she represents polarities and she insists on her physicality, Nathan, which you being an athlete, I think can really appreciate, you know, she, she is not just, so she's not teaching about um, stepping into your divinity once you drop the physical body. She's she's inviting us to own our divinity, to own our goddess nature, to own our potency while in the physical body, to ascend while in the physical body. So um, I think she is she is a goddess that speaks to us now. You know, really relatable at the moment. Yeah, I I think we could we could probably take the conversation around um, gender roles. I think we could take that a step further, but before we do, I wanna throw in a lot of, um, there's this deeply problematic part of human history that not too many people talk about. Like we talk about slavery over the ages, not just in the United States, but over the the course of, of, of written human history. But we also have this really, really, I mean, we've we've got genocides. We've got all kinds of terrible things. What's going on actively in the Middle East and has been for a hundred, you know, at least 50, 60 years, you know, in the Gaza Strip. But the um, the part of history that that to me is most disturbing is this dark Middle Age period where we were, you know, murdering women and children um, at the hands of the church and the state. Usually, somebody like me sitting in a courtroom with a, a judge saying this is real medicine or this is witchcraft. And that was enough for for women and children just to be maimed and tortured and um, sort of publicly executed. Um, so during these witch hunts, which were most notable across the continent of Europe, these some of these stories that I think have been perpetuated by the Catholics and Protestants in their crusades across the world were sufficient um, for were sufficiently uh, they had they've taken sufficient hold that I don't think we've really shaken that too much. I think women still carry the story of of um, you know original sin, for example, you know, and uh, oftentimes people treat labor pain, you know, as the sort of um, working out the sins of Eve, right, which goes all the way back to this biblical story, which may or may not um, serve us anymore. Um, it, it, at least through that lens. So I, I want to ask you, how 
from what you're you've understood around this evolving character of Inanna, how did those stories um how were they utilized to serve the uh, the the objectives of the witch hunters right and what is i think still today has still i think is still a part of the sort of interweaving of our society oh absolutely <clears throat> and Okay, there's a, quite a bit I want to say about that. So on the one hand, um, uh, I just want to say I do think that that you know that heretical uh, witch figure is the visionary, and I think that the visionary. I really honestly think Nathan um, that the visionary has returned, and so there are many people walking the earth right now because we are evolving in such a powerful way. I do think there are a lot of visionaries who have incarnated. And so there's a lot of individuals that are playing out. And I see this in the work that I do, the witch wound, the healing of the witch wound, the reclamation of their, of, of, you know, the, right. the this, this healing process that, that yeah. needs to happen. So, um, it is a part of the conversation for sure. In terms of the healing work that I do, I see it a lot. Um, so ultimately I do think what happened was, you know, there, there's a way that when the divine feminine was buried alive, we, we came out of balance and that there is a, a, a desire to, we have to, in order to stay on the planet, um, return to balance internally and externally, the planet herself needs to. So the, the myths were about ultimately the, the way that, that, that I see what you're describing unfolding was a way to keep the potency, the generative potency of the divine feminine, um, you know, under wraps, so to speak, <laughs> to find her. And um, and what we're having happen now is this way, this return of the divine feminine is not about power over the masculine. And I think there is a beautiful um, archeologist, anthropologist, Maria Gimbutas, who uh, did a tremendous amount of work in, in, um, in goddess consciousness, I'll call it. But, um, and what she came up with was this term called matristic societies or matristic cultures. And she used that term in her, in her theoretical work to differentiate matriarchal, uh, the term matriarchal and patriarchal. She didn't want us to, to think of, she, right, she matriarchal. Right like associations with dominance over and that wasn't that's not that's not what these societies were about they weren't about usurping men's power they were about being in alignment shoulder to shoulder balanced um and that's what we're wanting to happen again so yeah. um hmm. <laughs> yeah so you know what what role does like guilt and shame play you know in this i mean you're a clinical psychologist you're a psychotherapist you hear guilt and shame probably in your dreams now totally what role does that play? And, and before you go into it, one, one thing I will say is that a lot of reproductive cancers, I've talked to a lot of very experienced clinicians and coaches and therapists, and they see a lot of cancer, a lot of reproductive cancer. I mean, we'll get into second chakra stuff in a bit, but re reproductive cancers in women who come from a Catholic background specifically. Yeah. So much guilt, so much shame around sexuality, about embracing femininity. And And guys, we're not talking about like, males and females we're not saying we'll get into this a little bit further but like like to be ashamed to be to be proud of your femininity or to be proud of your menstruation or to be proud of your your like 
hyper active sex drive like it's leading to a lot of stuff being bound up and expressing itself in untoward ways even through a very very directly you know um um measurable sort of physical sense so let's talk about guilt and shame um and how inana this this essence may help us to clarify some of that and maybe even i don't know move out of a state of shame and guilt this is why I love your work so much, because you're pointing to the, you're speaking to the mental, emotional, and spiritual bodies as well as the physical body, right? And it, it really is all of these processes that want, need to come into alignment. So they, they can be affected. Indeed, the guilt and shame, the way that I have understood it, is the internalization of subjugation, the way the, the oppress, oppressive energy from the outside became internalized. And the guilt and the shame is like the... the Bingo. Now, in a sense, you're doing it to yourself. Yeah. So, it, and, and the transformation um, mm. that can unfold with Inanna is that she is completely unapologetic. She wants what she wants and she goes and gets it. And she, she knows who she is and she's comfortable with it. She, she, she doesn't, um, you know, she is one of the characteristics of Inanna is that she is rather impatient and she doesn't care. Like she's not, she doesn't, she's not ashamed by that. She's, you know, she, she just goes for what she wants. So the, the idea of self-love is fundamental to the conversation about guilt and shame because those two really impede self-love. Um, and I personally was, you know, doing this work as a clinician and helping people access self-love. And it wasn't until I worked with Inanna energetically and really dove into her vibration that I could really embody self-love. It really was transformative for me. So I think that what she does is that the archetype of that unapologetic heroin frequency gives us the permission to go, I don't need this. This, this internalized oppression isn't even mine. And I don't want to give that any more power. So, so to, to transcend it to, to, to well, more specifically to integrate that and heal it. So she she's a force for yeah. sure about that, but but yeah. it's an important process, and I agree with you about the ways that that this energy can impact the subtle bodies as well as ultimately the physical body, right? Right, right. So, I, are you familiar with German New Medicine? No. So German New Medicine is basically a a. Um, a healing modality, let's just call it. It's a it's a, a way of looking at disease from a very different lens. And that is, it's really the lens that you just described, which is, let's say that you have a tremendous guilt or shame, or you're carrying some trauma, the burden of some emotional abuse, or the way you were spoken to, or something terrible that happened in your life, and you never really fully close the circle on that. That little undigested morsel can manifest in the body as dis-ease or pathology, right? Um, we can look at cancer in this way. We look at parasites in this way. We can look at cervical cancer in this way, uh, H, uh, persistent HPV. We could think of COVID in this way. Like there's all kinds of stuff, you know, that that if we look at it through a slightly different lens, all that we're saying here, if, if, I, if I can paraphrase you, is that I'll, this is not even just stuff in your own lifetime. This is a narrative that is has been oppressive to you. And heaven forbid you're a black woman in the United States. I mean, there's various other stories that you now have to carry and you suppress that in order to just get by in the world. That in and of itself 
and our perpetuation of those narratives, which just kind of, it just blows on the coals a little bit inside of you, can lead to actual health consequences at the physical, mental, or emotional level in the future. Is that, is that playing out in your practice? Absolutely. And I, 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 absolutely. And I really find that the key, you know, in, in what I have discerned so far, thus far, um, is that our vibration. So doing the inner work, doing the healing work, internally, the shadow work, all the things where we can lift our vibration, not by dis not by disavowing the shadow aspects, but by integrating them and opening our heart to them. I see the heart as a cauldron wherein our healing can be alchemized. So the shadow can become alchemized into that, into love, fear, all of the above. And, and that ultimately the way that I see this, healing happening is lifting our vibration. The higher the vibration, in my opinion, is akin to like the higher vibration we have, the more we reside in the frequency of love, the stronger our immune system. I'm not the doc, but <laughs> I do feel like there is a correlation between our immune system, but certainly I can speak to sort of like our psychic immune system, our energetic immune system, so to speak, is in like, in, in a sense, it's like, the darker frequencies, fear itself cannot penetrate as easily if you are bolstered in the frequency of love. And it feels so important, This, but it speaks to doing the inner work. We have to start with the self. We have to do that healing work. We can't yeah. just, just like let it go, <laughs> you know, or get turned away from it or say, yeah. I just focus on the positive. You know? Yeah, yeah. Right. It's like the good vibes only, you know, t-shirts. It's like, that's bullshit. Like you can't have good vibes only. Like, like you, you can, you can actually work towards that, but if you're just going to ignore any of the bad stuff coming in, you're kind of ignoring the opportunity or invitation to do some really deep healing work here. So, um, I just posted on Twitter just today. It was like, I'm so glad you're going through that hard thing even if you feel like it's just the end of the road for you, thank God you get, you get that gift because that's the only way you're going to grow. And that can be confronting to people. If we just want to dismiss and bypass the hard work, then okay, you can keep doing that, but you're never going to get anywhere. You know, I, as a father, I've gone through this time and time again. It's like, fuck, I just need to, I need to dial in my presence for these little girls. Like there is no way around it. There's absolutely no uh, surrogate for that. Um, you mentioned love. And I think a lot of people think of the heart can you talk a little bit about, it seems a little oversimplified. I'm just going to give you a little pushback to say that the heart and the, let's say our reproductive system, the cervix, let's say Emily Abbott's a good friend of mine. She does a lot of this heart opening work in order for people to connect more to their pussy, to their cervix, whatever. What is that like Can in, in, in your, uh, both your experience, but also in your beautiful language, how do you help people understand this connection? between the heart being open and the cervix being opened, you know, and we could go the direction of, of developing disease like cervical cancer, or we can go the direction of having cervical orgasm. How does the heart play into this? Well, it's a great question, but the, and, and really I would say that it has to do with self-love because so mm. it's going to enter into the conversation of the second chakra because yeah, the second yeah. chakra is the, is the center wherein we give ourselves permission to play, to have joy, to have fun. So, and it's also the, the center wherein we give our, wherein we can satiate our appetites, but we can't satiate our appetites until we know what we want, which is in the heart. So the heart gives us the information about what it is we desire and what, what, what is, what it is that we're longing for. And then we can, um, in a sense, connect in and 
fulfill ourselves in a sense um, through the second chakra, right? And the second chakra, of course, is not just from a sexual perspective, which is a fabulous aspect to it of it, but it's also the creative center. So to me, when we conceptualize, you know, create being agents of change, creating change in the world, there is a correlation to me between the heart and the second or the you know the womb space, the, the second chakra yeah. um, energy, because that creative, what do we want to create? Do we want to create from a place of love or fear? And so they are connected. Um, and but also with regard to our own body, how do we surrender into the, you know, it, as a woman, the receptivity of pleasure? Um, and it, that does, if we feel safe and if we feel, if we, we can do that in by virtue of feeling safe, but in order to feel safe, we have to, in a sense, come to a place where we're not just receiving unconditional love from the outside, but that where we feel like we have our own back. Yeah. We hold, have ourselves yeah. in arms. And that's the ultimate safety, you know, because mm. the rest is, it, it it's wonderful, but it is also correlated with our own love of ourselves. In other words, if you think of the heart, and this is a lot of the beautiful work done by the Heart Math Institute, it really highlights that the heart is the most magnetic aspect of our being. So what's in our heart is what shows up in our reality. So we want to become conscious of what's in our heart. But if we are self-loving, if we have our own back, if we celebrate ourselves unapologetically, um, then that's the kind of energy that shows up around us that mirrors, you know, that 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 reflects our own inner feelings. So the relationships we have start to mirror that, you know, yeah. so really start within. I got to go into COVID for a second. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I suspect you and I were equally very contemplative and thoughtful during that time as to how potentially harmful this was going to be over the long run, because so many people, you, you brought up heart math. Well, I've been studying polyvagal theory and for like, what a powerful uh, framework to, in order to help a person just looking at these various um, levels of the autonomic ladder. During COVID, so many people were, were, were looking at the world as a place to be afraid of, right? And I think that this has perpetuated itself in our ongoing fears of viruses and things out to get us and even cancer being this thing that's the battle against cancer it all kind of seems like it's in the dorsal vagal, this like kind of freeze pattern. Yeah. And when you're, when you don't feel safe, I don't really know how you can do anything in the world. So I'm wondering if you could just maybe uh, share, what was your experience during COVID from this standpoint of, of a person being closed off and feeling unsafe for years at a time? Like what's the long-term consequence of that? Hey guys, it's Nathan. Sorry for this brief interruption, but I got to tell you about a new offering that I'm going to be uh, making available this fall. You've heard about the Born Free Method. That's our comprehensive pregnancy and postpartum program. That includes 12 months of weekly calls, 100 plus video modules, tons of citations around pregnancy and postpartum. Well, Born Free is an umbrella under which there's going to be a lot of other courses. And the second course in this anthology is called Clear and Free, Your Solution to Persistent HPV. It's a collaborative effort between me and Mimi Linquist of the Medicine Podcast. She um, is a relative expert in, uh, I say relative because I don't consider anybody a full expert in anything, but Mimi has gone deep 
into human papillomavirus and some of the ways that we can use lifestyle to augment the immune system in hopes that your routine screening for HPV or your routine pap smears are going to come up negative and clear. So you can go another three to five years and not even think about it until your next um, appointment, whereby hopefully you'll screen negative again. So the typical path that many women experience of all ages in their OBGYN clinic is, hey, you're due for a pap smear and we're going to test for HPV as well. If one of those comes back abnormal, your OBGYN is going to say, oh, darn it, it's abnormal. Why don't you come back for a repeat screening in six months or 12 months? And this process continues, right, until you end up with either a progression of abnormal cells in the cervix caught on pap smear or a persistence of human papillomavirus, meaning your body has not been able to integrate the message of this virus, right? Remember, viruses are not living things. So in the meantime, your OBGYN or your midwife or nurse practitioner hasn't given you any tools in order to help support your immune system through diet, through movement, through sleep, through stress management, through hydration, through all of those modifiable lifestyle factors so that you can be sure that if you had an HPV um, positive screen initially, that the next time it's going to be negative. Mm -hmm. Now, the other part of that conversation, of course, is, hey, I got the HPV vaccine. Aren't I safe now? Well, the problem with Gardasil 9, which is the primary vaccine that is offered to young men and women as early as age nine, has not been demonstrated to be either effective at preventing cervical cancer nor safe because of the aluminum adjuvants and everything else. So there's a lot of controversy around HPV and cervical cancer and even cervical cancer screening methods along with this vaccine. What do I do? Should I get it? Should I not get it? Should my little girls get this vaccine? And so Given the sort of swirling <laughs> pool of information and misinformation out there, I went deep as well. And Mimi and I teamed up in order to clarify for everybody out there the realities around what HPV and cervical cancer screening looks like, what can be done while you're waiting for your follow-ups in order to support your immune system to integrate the message of that virus and avoid any abnormal cells developing and hopefully avoid painful biopsies or even worse, leap procedures, cold knife comb procedures, and of course, worst case scenario, cervical cancer. There's so much that's in your power. Your doctors, your practitioners probably aren't maybe edu educated or incentivized to share all of that information, but we're going to do that through this course, as well as all of the reali realities around vaccines, especially Gardasil 9. Um, we look at data from the United States and elsewhere in the world. We speak to um, attorneys who are litigating on this topic around Gardasil 9. What you can expect from the course is around 90 lessons self-guided. And we're going to also offer monthly calls for six months after you enroll with me and Mimi, where we're going to be able to answer all of your questions and provide you with that support that perhaps you aren't getting from the healthcare professionals that you've entrusted um, your, your cervical cancer screening and your well woman care. So we get into HPV, we get into cervical cancer screening, we get into the immune system, vaccines, viruses. It's everything you've wanted to know about any of those topics. Go to the link in the show notes and you'll find your way to book an enrollment call and we'll get you enrolled right there. We're going to be enrolling in October. I hope to see you there. I mean, you know this, and it's, you know, really, I think, well, 
promoted that there is, uh, you know, there is an increase in mental health issues that have surfaces, addiction, um, all of the, you know, this, uh, it's, it's a huge question because what I see is that there was, even though that was an incredibly challenging experience to go through, it did elicit a collective dark night of the soul and yeah. really this descent into the underworld collectively. Um, and so that ultimately I relate to that as an initiation um, and that's consistent with Inanna's process. Um, and so I think there is great opportunity to actually in this very paradoxical way, but spirit works paradoxically so often, um, you know, to, to stand in our sovereignty, really to question what, how do, where do we want our consciousness to reside? Do we want it to reside in fear? And there are so many opportunities. There's such a strong pull. And I think that also invites us to work with the ego, not as something we want to get rid of, but more like a personal trainer that's calling us over and saying, can I hook you with fear? <laughs> and we look at it and we say like, you know, I'm training myself to, to, sh to shift my gaze away, you know, from yeah. it's hard, but it strengthens us just like training for anything that we, yeah. we do physically, you know? So I, I think, I do think there are, you know, I think there are, there is a huge, even with the kids, we both have young ones. Um, you know, I, I, I think there was a major impact on the development of executive function that was really important for these little kiddos that, you know, couldn't get the facial cues even when they did go back to school. You know, the, all the things that inform the development of executive function, I think, was was impacted. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a lot, a lot that has unfolded. Um, but I do think that there's also an opportunity. And I, I, I don't mean this to sound like, you know, sort of Pollyanna positive, but I do look for, I, in my training is strength psychology, you know? So I do look for like, what is the medicine in this? What is the, what is the teaching? What is the, what is the learning from this? And I, I do think there's an opportunity for us to really go, hmm, let's, you know, are we called to, to stand in our sovereignty because our sovereignty was, you know, compromised. And so yeah. it can be a way for us to pivot towards that, which yeah. is my hope, you know? I couldn't have said that better myself. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, and I have to say this, I, I have to, I guess, take, be a little gentle here, but for whatever, in some aspects, COVID was like the, the rite of passage that I needed. It was like an initiation for me to really look in the mirror and be very honest with myself. Like, who are you and how are you going to show up tomorrow? Um, if I see everybody out there who was pro vaccine or whatever, whatever, like these come up every single day in our regular conversations. If I see the person who disagrees with me as the enemy, as somebody to be afraid of, who somebody's out to get me, regardless of what side of the, uh, of that story you fall on, that's going to come back to you. Like, like, so I had to be, make this very active conscious decision to say, I am going, this is the ultimate exercise in holding compassion for myself, patience and compassion for others, and just trying to do my best to lead with love and light. And we all slipped up occasionally. I mean, there was times when I was just like, what the fuck are you talking about? And mm -hmm. that doesn't really serve them or me or our relationship for that matter. But um, without these initiations, which I think we're sorely lacking nowadays, I don't think a lot of people think inward and and maybe embrace the opportunities that can arise from a little bit of messiness and a little bit of uncertainty. And I think that actually is the spirit of Inanna. So, um, so thank you for sharing that, for, for entertaining me there on, on that. <laughs> um, 
Okay, I've got a hypothetical here for you. And this is another one. I mean, we're, we're like just treading tricky water here. Let's just, just call it what it is. Um, a lot of, uh, so I was a, a, I did a lot of feminist women's studies when I was in college as a part of my Hispanic language and literature um, degree. And a lot of people continue to, to sort of say things like men did us wrong. And um, the, you know, history, his story left out the feminine archetypes and historical um, these perspectives. But nowadays, it seems like the most radical feminists are sort of like anti-masculine. They're sort of like anti-man. And they seem to almost be fighting for privilege over men, as opposed to equity or equality, you know, whichever way you want to look at it, where we're actually all living in harmony, yin and yang, divine feminine, divine masculine. Now it's like the men had their chance. It's the women's turn to take over. This gets into that matriarchy versus patriarchy conversation. What would you say to that as we try to move forward? Because I kind of feel like the pendulum could swing in the opposite direction. And while I'm okay with, with that, if that's what has to happen, like I've had my time as a white man, I guess, on my throne, is that really going to lead to much harmony as I think a lot of the, the sort of uh, fourth wave of feminism, those feminists might be suggesting? I know that I'm throwing these softballs at you, so... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's perfect because, and I, I really think Inanna would appreciate such a, such a question because ultimately, it, and it, it really is nuanced in the sense that uh, the what I was saying earlier about the the term matristic over matriarchal, this idea that God is consciousness is not about dominance over. It is right. not about power over. It's about unity. Goddess consciousness or divine feminine consciousness is about unity. It's about compassion. It's about non-judgment. It's about unconditional love. And, you know, the idea is that if we're really going to embody, if we are going to move forward, ultimately, and I know this from a clinical perspective, working with trauma, we can do work on a particular issue that we may have dealt with, you know, a traumatic experience. But if we are still experiencing resentment for it, the resentment acts like a tether to the trauma. Right. Keeps us bound, like shackled to where we were and we're trying to go somewhere else, right? So it's important for us to unshackle ourselves by dissolving resentment. Not Dissolving resentment does not mean condoning what was done to us that was unjust are unjust, but it, it's, it's about alchemizing it in the heart mm. and using mm. this is that notion of, and why Inanna's mythology is, I think so, so important is because it gives us an opportunity to rewrite our narrative from a place of empowerment. So we go, you, we, we realize like, you know, whatever subjugation we've endured, we can look at ourselves now and say, but I'm still here. And not only am I still here, I'm a fucking rise. Like I'm mm, rising. Mm. And there's a way where if you can get into that energy, you're not residing in the resentment. You're, you're the resentment and resentment is a block to joy. So we, we can't hold resentment and experience joy. So we want, it serves us and it serves us to, it's, it's a liberating process to dissolve resentment. And the best way I have come to understand how to, to transmute resentment is to bring it into the heart. Again, it's not about condoning. It's just about going, can I find a way to, to feel upset about what I have gone through, but hold it in my heart 
so that I can, I can move, I can rise. I'm not tethered. I don't want to limit myself. You know, the other thing is, is that there's a way that in, I want to say, I guess in dissolving resentment that we can see our strengths, right? We can come to say like, who am I as a result yeah. of what we've gone through? And we bring our focus on who we are now, not what we've endured, but you know, not, not being defined by the trauma, but seeing instead our strengths that we have accessed as a result of coming out of the trauma. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, of course I agree fully with that. And, and I deep, I'm deeply um, empathetic, I suppose, um, or empathic. I, I never know what the right adjective there is for empathy, but whatever. Yeah, I think you know what I mean. I do. Um, when a woman says, you know, or or when I when I sort of unveil, or a, a woman decides to share with me, I was raped when I was sixteen, and I think it's, what do you say to that sixteen-year-old? Because you know, going back to everything we've already talked about, men don't rape women because they just get the urge to have sex. This is a, 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 almost like a reminder of that suppression that has happened since the dawn of written human history of the beautiful, um, feminine power. Like it's such a threat to us guys that we need to remind you that, Hey, you might have all those feminine magical powers like, Oh, I don't know, creating life, but I'm still bigger and stronger than you. So don't forget that. Um, maybe you can comment on that. Why do men rape women? But also, how is a person who has undergone a very malicious attack, how are they, like, what's the first step for them to start trying to forgive the person who did this horrific thing to them and maybe fuck them up for the rest of their life? Unless they read your book and they can start working with somebody who can really help them unpack that and, and snip that tether. Absolutely. Um, ultimately, there's a way in which I would say it's so important to honor the experience that we, any one of us has gone through. Right. Um, and, but, but in terms of, I wouldn't, I, I think, you know, the term forgiveness tends to be triggering to some people. So I like to think of it more as acceptance, like not, not accepting what, like, again, none of this is about condoning at all, but it's about, what have we gone through that is, you know, I like to think of, you know, this is one of the reasons why I like myth so much is because it, we can make meaning out of it and we can find meaning in our own experiences. And if we're struggling to move beyond a trauma of that nature, can we find a way where we can understand that, that an aspect of our soul um, is, is we're, we're almost like it's an opportunity for us to see how masterful we are to heal. So when we, mm. we touch into like, br again, bringing our focus, our gaze towards our own mastery of coming out of that and seeing ourselves as, and ultimately developing an inner felt sense of safety, again, goes back to safety, right? Like e even, you know, what you did in, in you know, with COVID and, and in terms of, or the shift that you made from leaving, you know, um, your work, uh, at the hospital into now it took, it took feeling safe. There was something yeah. you had to do to access a felt sense of safety um, and to be the visionary that you are, you know, and, and ultimately I think that that's, that's an opportunity here 
with someone who's relaying a story like that is first of all, honor the experience, absolutely. Um, and, and give space for it to be told because there is such healing in receiving that story um, and for the story to be literally expressed. And you know, because the body is linguistic and tells a story, when we can, when we can take the, the, the painful trauma out of the body and share it in a safe space, it's very powerful and very healing in and of itself. Um, and so, but to bring the awareness into saying, you know, like in a sense, this is fundamentally sort of being clear that this is not about condoning the actions, but rather about saying, so this happened and I am going to bring my awareness to how masterful I am that I can overcome that and that I can find joy and I can access and, the, and to bring our awareness. It's like, we have a goal now we're going to yeah. focus what what is how do i access joy so yeah yeah, yeah. i mean i'm just like I'm, tr I'm like trying to i'm trying to hold space even for myself here but i'm trying to think of that the the people that have just been um i don't know they've been like the second class in yeah. every which way i'm yeah. thinking of like a <laughs> a black lesbian person who grew up grew up in the inner city and they've had just about every possible thing work against them in their entire life mm -hmm. and i and i if if those out there if if you're feeling that as well i i i want to try to just recenter ourselves around what you're saying shauna which is not hey let bygones be bygones mm -hmm. you know it's not a matter of like not even like from the catholic kind of thing where it's like i forgive you mm -hmm. 12 steps or whatever like I think what what you're I think what what I'm taking from it anyways is that you have the opportunity right now to recenter yourself in the world and 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 to try to resonate love and light as opposed to love you know whatever the opposite of that is death and uh, suffering and everything else that is one thing that actually is in your control and that also doesn't take the pain away it's it's still something you carry with you it still is informing you but it but it's not empowering to live in that state it's it's okay to observe that state but to not in, to not just like pretend like it didn't happen um can you maybe just elaborate a little bit further cuz i think this is kind of the crux of why i like your work so much There's so much wisdom there thank you so much i i do i, I agree that it's it's you know it it's confronting for sure to people when you think of, you know, the, the work that I do from an intuitive perspective and you look at the larger picture, like what, so I, so yes, I'm an LICSW, but really my focus now is on what is sort of really going on. So I'm not even doing the psychotherapy anymore because I wanted the freedom like you to step outside of the clinical practice to be able to do what I feel is my true work, which yeah. is around, you know, a, a seeing, seeing, because um, I do do intuitive work and to see what's really at play and what is our soul receiving from this experience and why, you know, and, and, and so ultimately, uh, I, I think it can be helpful when we take a zoom out lens perspective. Um, and that, that can, again, it's not about condoning anything that was uh, completely unfair. It's completely merited to be resentful. Of course it is. And it gives power to those that right. are misusing power. So we don't oh. want to, yeah, we want to transmute it. And in, in so doing, we become empowered. And, you know, Nathan, in 
psychotherapy, we conceptualize the idea that shadow work, that behind the shadow is power. So when we integrate the shadow, when we integrate that terrifying experience, it, again, integrated in the sense of um, come to a place of healing. And it's not about saying I'm only focusing on like positive energy. It's about going, this was fucking hard. And this drastically impacted my life. I'm completely anxious now. I don't feel safe. I can't, you know, it's hard for me to enter into sacred relationship, safe relationship with anybody. And that these are real experiences, but that's part of the initiation. And when we see that, we come to realize like, I I am so masterful. Yeah. I can move beyond that. And yeah. so the zoom out lens perspective is one of the reasons why I, I transitioned away from psychotherapy because you can't bill in insurance companies for like right. something that you can see as a past life issue. So, yeah. you know, when you go back and you say like, there's a way that, you know, when we remember, when we remember this, I think that's important that in our process here in the earth plane, on the earth plane, when we can come to a place of healing in ourself, there's a way where it impositively, I, I believe positively impacts sort of retroactively the, um, our ancestral lineage. So when we can, when we can come to a place of safety and heal, uh, through the experience of subjugation, that there's a way that we're in a sense supporting those that came before us. Um, and, and if they may not, even ourselves, even past life experiences wherein we were killed and we weren't able to, you know, find our voice again and speak up for ourselves. So I think there's a, a lot of opportunity in the healing work and it's not about disavowing the experience. It's about integrating it into a larger understanding of like your soul's journey. Yeah. Yeah. Really important. How does, um, your, your work with this figure, this, this, um, the essence, I, I say the essence because to, to just identify Inanna as a real person, which I'm sure there probably was right. a, a real person, but it's really this, uh, it's almost like when you pull those Oracle cards and you pull the Inanna card, right? There's something that comes through with that message. I mean, you're describing a warrior with, with armor and, and a seven pleated skirt for the seven levels of initiation. And she's, you know, she's showing her vulva. Like that's a radically different version of what we see, uh, even in Hollywood nowadays, you know, we're starting to see a lot of penises, which is interesting. We're seeing a lot less vulva and breasts, which is kind of interesting, but you see Anana and you're like, Whoa, like talk about like the feminine warrior, goddess, priestess, all of the things come to mind. How could a person, if they pull that Oracle card, right? They, they, or they pull, hopefully they go and buy your book guys. Um, Shauna's book is called, it's a long title, but author of the way of Inanna, a heroine's guide to living unapologetically. How can living unapologetically, how can that serve you when you're going into childbirth? That is Sorry, a I just threw a curveball. No, I love that. I love that. Because again, you know, I just want to say before I answer that question, I think that there, um, you talk a lot about, you know, cultivating the soil, right? In terms of preparation yeah. for conception. And I think that that's truly what the energy of Anana does. She's going, she's going, well, the soil definitely includes <laughs> your relationship to yourself and self-love. <laughs> totally. That is, that's it. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> That, that's one of the ways. And then with regard to, there's a beautiful scene um, in the, the Descent story. The Descent of Inanna is, for listeners, is her most well-known myth. Um, and there are sort of different phases of the story. So there's also the, the dream and the return, but it's kind of like one long story. But in that, she is facing her death 
Inanna is facing her death as she goes to the underworld where her sister self, Ereshkigal, fixes the eye of death upon her and she dies. But at the same time, we see Ereshkigal, the queen of the underworld, lying on the floor, like her hair a mess. She's in, she's experiencing labor pains. So there's this juxtaposition of death and birth. And what it really highlights is this notion of transition. And you were, your work as a hospice doc and, and an OBGYN, you've gotten to see these beautiful rites of passage and you get to feel because you've been in there. And I, I am formerly a hospice social worker. So I have got, I have been able to be in that space, that sacred energy of transition. And it's, you know, either end of the spectrum. It's, it is, it is so, so sacred. There's a frequency and energy in there. So in terms of, um, you know, touching into the, 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 I would say the vibration of Inanna and how that can support us in childbirth, birth, it is absolutely channeling the warrior for sure. Um, but, but also it is about, remembering our own divinity and remembering the sacredness of it. So that, that the actual act of childbirth, it's hard not to feel the holy energy of childbirth. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Big <laughs> it's just amazing. But, but when we're working with her, even before that, you know, kind of the actual birth process, what, what we're doing is we're, we're getting ourselves ready we're physically getting ourselves ready by touching into goddess energy we are able to then channel that frequency when when we are delivering but also um we are remembering in that moment our own divinity so we we face a moment like childbirth and we go i can i can fucking do anything you know i am a goddess i can do anything so it's important i think it can help us um but i do think it goes back to that soil that you talk about that starts with self-love. And she, to me, is she has been my greatest teacher for self-love. Mm. What would she say around about, I don't know, coercion in maternity care? What would she say about informed consent? Like what would be her sort of, uh, uh, her advice to people who are curious as to how to navigate this really big dilemma right now? Yes. Oh, I so appreciate that question too. <laughs> Um, because it's, it is, you know, she would, she, she is all about sovereignty and she is always talking that the reason why she goddess of love, her emphasis is on the heart, heart and second chakra. But, yeah. um, but really she would say, what is your truth? What works for you? Mm. And that's where you need to go. Like she is always bringing you back to the heart and going, let that be your orienting principle. Um, and ultimately that's, you know, then it's whatever is the individual's truth, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is literally the only qualification that I really have, apart from people being being vegan, um, in order to work with them in home birth. And I won't get into the vegan thing. It's just yeah, I get, when it. you're, I get it. When you're strictly vegan, you don't generally have that great of tissues, and stuff just falls apart in ways that is completely unforeseen um, in other scenarios. But the other one is if you're not willing to say that there is a there is something that is true to me. I'm dialed into that that thing that is true and I'm ready to fucking go. Once a person is is in, I'm in. I don't care what other possible scenarios, what other doctors and everything are saying, you individual person are going to have this baby and if you're willing to say I am in with every bit of my soul, I am into this process, I already know that the biggest dystocia to having your dream birth is out of the way, which is the fear, which is the disconnection, which is the lack of 
of it's it's you haven't reclaimed your power. And in order to have a home birth, and I take a lot of high risk clients, if you're going to do this, you have to get that other stuff, those other stories that you've adopted about yourself, you have to get that out. And I've met some of the most incredibly powerful women that are so unassuming, but they're basically just, they're so practiced in saying, no, thanks. I'm good right here. And I just admire the hell out of them mm. for wanting to do it their way. Like that to me is really Anana coming through in these daily conversations I have with women. She only wants it her way and she gets it yeah. her way and she's powerful enough to make that. So, and I, I, I agree. I, I do find that so inspiring and um, ultimately her, her unapologetic nature is she's, she holds the all right. She holds, she's fiercely loving, you know, um, yeah. she's, she has these polarities that, and that's the important thing. And that's the story of the of her descent. She she deliberately goes to make known the unknown. She reclaims the shadow aspects of self. And that's part of the unapologetic, like, sorry, this is who I am kind <laughs> of energy. Yeah. And, and yeah. She's not going to shift it. So um I think that I think that's one of the other the other pieces, her insistence on her physicality. It really comes back to her pleasure. Her mythology really highlights her her emphasis on her own pleasure. And the her glory, her felt sense of adorning her physical body and really owning her beauty, I think is central to um, the birth process as well. It's to really come into the body. We have to be in the body to birth, you know, um, and be in connection to the body. In, in not only to birth, but to conceive, right? And to and the experience of um, really remembering. I feel like the, one of the things myth does is it reminds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, remembering how powerful we are, and and the mm. the and our ancestral lineage that has come before us that has done this through through eons, and and to touch into that, to to connect into the power that exists that has come before us, you know. Yeah, yeah. What just came back to me was a one of the previous questions that I had asked you, which is around this sort of um, the the. Um, feminism challenging patriarchy looking for privilege over men if that is the end goal which i don't think it is for all feminist guys i'm not i'm not saying that and i will add that uh, feeding into this perpetuating this this narrative that there has to be a winner and a loser mm -hmm. is actually that's actually the problem and if that's where you want this to go and you just have a sh swinging of the pendulum it's going to come back to just as hard, and we're going to see it shattering, you know, both sides just over and over, which is, I think, what we've seen play out in history. Um, and one thing I'll say for people that question that is like, you're a woman. Why would you want to be a man? I get why you would from what you've been told about how society runs and all of that, but you have the ability to have children. Like, you are so much more powerful than me. Like, yes, I have muscles, big fucking deal. You can grow a baby. Like, there is no power. Anywhere in all of my books and all of my studies and all of my diplomas, nothing will ever let me even get close to the power of the feminine. Mm -hmm. And that is actually, I think, why so many men are now becoming aware of this binary here. And they're mm -hmm. starting to be, um, they're starting to want to take advantage of the opportunity to sit with birth with their own baby. Because you get to witness for the first time ever a real magic trick and perhaps something that is only comparable to something you'd see in like uh, Avatar. Like you get to see something real fucking magic right in front of your eyes and you will never even get a, a, a whiff of that out of your own fingertips. Like that is real power. 
And we've put these societal structures that, of course, that have suppressed this power. Um, But man, why would you want to be a man? You're a fucking woman. Like, thank God you're a woman. Like, I, I... I envy women in some in so many ways. And that sounds like such a privileged white guy thing to say. I get it. And I love the privileges I have. But man, if society were to change, the only change that I would like to see is for us to honor and 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 bring back a reverence for the power of the feminine. I mean, that is really the only way forward, in my opinion. Ooh, and so, that. <laughs> I love a reverence for the power of the feminine. Absolutely. And I think that that's, that's very, very emblematic of goddess consciousness. Central, yeah. A central tenet of goddess consciousness is how do we serve all, which is a totally opposite to a misuse of power. And that's truly, I think, the, where, why we find ourselves the way we find ourselves yeah. today is this yeah. misuse of power. And ultimately, I think that um, that's where... <sighs> That's where the invitation is to go, is to is to find a way to serve all. And, yeah. um, you know, and Inanna does that. Inanna's mythology does this. You can see this in the way that she, um, you know, some especially the <clears throat> the myth um, Inanna and the God of Wisdom. It's a real, it really c- captures how she is able to do that. But mm. that's like the unconditionally loving mother. Like, how does how does everyone win here in this family? You know. Um, yeah. But I do think too, what what is is so powerful is um, not only the reverence for the feminine, but just really the reverence for all. Really, that notion of being in in reverence of all of us. You know. Yeah. This dissolution of these these of separate what I call separation consciousness. The dissolution of separation consciousness. The, the dissolution of othering one another. Yeah. Like, seeing each other, um, you know, as, as connected to each other, as, yeah. as mirrors, as reflections of, of source or whatever you want to mm. call it. Us. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, in getting back to what you said about the soil, yeah. I mean, are the way that we've mistreated our planet and like, guys, this is not just like Sierra club or whatever. Like, I mean, go out into your yard and dig up a handful of soil and just look very carefully, feel what's in that soil. It is a living biomass. Like, mm-hmm. And, and we have done our very best to isolate in monocultures and and utilizing chemical fertilizers to grow specific things. And the earth is just like, just flicking us off. Like, like, come on guys, are you just, okay, keep trying that thing, you know? And meanwhile, you go walk into the woods in Kentucky here and everything is just bustling with life. Like it wants to live and our, our, our um, determined are, are we're so determined to divide and conquer even in the soil and and the power of anana really i think is embodied within the spirit of earth herself like it, it, it we have nothing on this like we have nothing on it. so why not just surrender to it and actually allow it to become a part of who we are and how we connect to one another um when a person does that shauna as kind of like a maybe we'll kind of start wrapping it up here when a person reads your book they listen to your podcast. They really are like, fuck yeah, they're in. They're going to do this. Is there a shadow side to embracing Inanna like fully? Well, she is, I mean, her. she brings up her mythology emphasizes working with the shadow. But I, when I hear that question, I hear the sort of, I, I say this in my book. I was telling one of my teachers that I um, I work with this beautiful, amazing holy elder crone, powerful teacher who said, you're going to put a warning label on that, right? Like, you know, when I told her I was going to write this book and um, 
ultimately the reason is, is because she does, you know, when you sort of, and, and this, the higher dimensional beings do not violate our free will. So we have to say yes, you know, and, and there's an aspect of us, even if it's unconscious, that's like, yes, I want to change. Yes, I want to transform. So when we give ourselves permission to transform with Inanna, especially things are going to shift. And, you know, it's like, I, I you know, I, 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 in so many ways, like I, I, for me, the biggest outcome was balance, which is positive, but I had to let go of some major rigidity and I, you know, that's hard. Right. And I know you are an, an athlete and, you know, I, I was, I, yeah, it's hard for endurance athletes to let go of rigidity sometimes. And yeah. I, well, you're like stuck in your masculine, right? As an athlete, it's the same with Emily Abbott, my friend that I mentioned before. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so things, I mean, just everything changes. Boundaries become clear and really strong and firm. So relationships can shift. And, um, you know, and there are just things if you say yes to walking your initiatory path, they're not they're not easy. It's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart in the sense that, um, you know, just like signing up for an Ironman is not for the faint of heart. It's hard, but it's also so incredibly rewarding. And, and it is the way to, you know, these, these initiatory processes are, you could say there's a shadow aspect to it in the sense that it's, it's, it's not easy, but it's, but it is, it yields liberation. So, you know, yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And when I say it yields liberation, because it, it invites us to heal. And when we heal, we are letting go of the trauma of the past. And, and as such, you know, we, we, that comes up, you know, to heal from a, a, a therapeutic perspective, psychotherapeutic perspective, we have to, um, you know, we have to, what wants to heal has to be revealed. Then we have to feel it and then it heals. Right. So the feeling part can feel like a shadow aspect because kids, yeah. kids feel uncomfortable, you know, yeah. but, it, it, if that's our path to freedom, you know, when you get onto the other side, you definitely typically go, I wouldn't have changed that because I'm free You're, or I'm healed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, one final question for you, Shauna. Mm -hmm. um, this is not shameless flirtation, but I want to know, since you've, you've had to reclaim your feminine, you've been so deeply thoughtful and meditative around Inanna and embracing the feminine and releasing um, uh, or, you know, not forgiving, but, but embracing the past, embracing the challenges life has thrown at you, um, having to shed and rebalance some of your divine masculine with some more divine feminine, all of that. How has it changed your relationships to men? Um, and I don't actually know that you have a male partner, so I'm presuming, but if you do, when is it that your partner, your male partner or your female partner, when do they, when are they most attractive to you? Like what courage. is the ultimate man to you? Yeah. Courage. The, when they're embodying courage, because courage is, means that you are willing to live true to your heart. And if you're willing to live true to your heart, that's going to turn me on, you know? And, um, and I think what's so powerful is the, when you do the healing work, again, you know, since our heart is our most magnetic aspect of our whole being, when you do the healing work and you're no longer connected to what I would say is like the toxic masculine energy of the patriarchy that held the divine feminine down, you start to open a door for the sacred masculine to show up. 
And because you're resonating in that frequency, um, and so energies show up that reflect that. So um, I think that, I think the the answer to your question in terms of whatever uh, identification one presents with, I think the most attractive, most you know, the hottest attribute is courage. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny you say that. My you know, my wife and I have been together since we were about sixteen, and um, naturally, you have to start getting more creative. We've got two little kids in the house now. From a sex or yeah. sex life standpoint, things tend to dry up a little bit, <laughs> literally and figuratively. And um, mm -hmm. and uh, recently, we've been having way much better sex. And I think a part of it, and I've shared this with my wife, she and I talked about this recently, was that I just decided instead of asking permission, and let me, before I say that, like, like, hey, do you want to have sex is what I mean. Not like yeah. getting consent. Like consent is built up over, a, there's a consent, there's foreplay, there's all of that. So we're past that. But then even then, mm -hmm. there was a point where it was like, oh, I don't want to be rejected. So I don't really want to ask. I don't want to like initiate because it might again that was like all me and i told her like i wish you would you know you would um you would initiate more in all of this but then at some point i just decided and i was reading john wineland's book from the core yeah. he is he's an incredible like he's got some incredible exercises there mm -hmm. i just decided that after we're there we're communicating we're jiving the chemistry's there i'm just going to go for it and my wife is so thankful for that because she knows that there's a little bit of courage there to initiate. And she just wants me to have that initiation to take her, right? And like I said, guys, this is not me forcing my wife to have sex. This is, it's working all the way up. And then at the last moment, I have the courage to step over the threshold and to just take her. Yeah. That, she said, that is such a turn on. But that's kind of actually like sort of what you're describing is um, sometimes the feminine just wants to be taken it by a man and and by her man, like by her, the love of her life. Like that actually says a lot. So um, I think that we tend to get caught up in the step by step, the sort of rigmarole of this dance between the masculine and feminine. And sometimes the feminine wants um, wants to be penetrated. And sometimes she wants me to receive her and that delicate, that, that takes courage to, to, to kind of work things out in your relationship. So, um, that anything you want to say about that? I'm just kind of curious. Well, I, yes. I think that that's, you know, um, one of the, one of the myths of Inanna in, in one of the myths of Inanna, she, she says, who will plow my holy vulva, right? She wants it. And so I think that's a lot of what you're speaking yeah. to is this, and she's talking, you know, she's, she's, this is like culturally, you know, <laughs> this is a very famous cultural myth, right? And this is the discourse in the mythology. And, and it highlights that, that you're describing this desire, right? Like what, what is our desire, whatever is our desire and um, to have our desire fulfilled, right? So the having, being a partner who has the courage to fulfill that desire um, yeah. is absolutely um, wonderful. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I mean, it's, it, I think, I think everybody out there thinks you have a podcast, you wrote a book, you, you're, you got X, Y, Z credentials. Now everything's just like, you just have it all figured out. Like, no, the more you, you try to study and understand this mm -hmm. stuff, the more complicated your own internal dialogue becomes as well as of course, the dialogue you have with your, your most intimate partner. So, um, the work is just, is, is still there, but you know, when I find people like you and 
John Wineland and so many of these other just there it's almost like you're like modern philosophers to me I feel like there's so much um wisdom there and your book is absolutely no exception. Why don't you tell people one more time the name of your book? Um, we're going to try to send people everywhere that they can go and get it, uh, as well as to your podcast. So just tell people all of the stuff, and we'll make sure we get them there. Thank you so much, Nathan. It has been so amazing to connect in with you today um, and to honor Inanna in this way. My book is called The Way of Inanna, A Heroine's Guide to Living Unapologetically. And it's available at booksellers uh, worldwide, and it is also available on Audible. So, um, if people prefer mm. that, yeah, yeah. So, and then um, uh, I, I think that's it. Oh, and then my my website is shaunazalazo.com. And they can find your podcast, The Unapologetic yeah. Heroine. There, um, yep. you say hair heroine, or do you say heroine? How do you? Yeah, that? I say heroine. Heroin, nice, very nice. It's yeah. it may be there may be some reason that heroin is spelled the same way. I have no idea, but right, right. Uh, <laughs> um, Instagram Shauna Zelazo, um, uh, author is where you can find everybody or find Shauna. Everybody, Shauna, thank you, thank you so much. Uh, I could talk to you for hours, but I'll be respectful of your time, and we'll we'll cut it we'll cut it for today. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in another amazing episode of the Holistic of podcast under wraps. If you want to find me, Nathan Riley, I'm the host. I am an MD. I'm a fellow of ACOG, meaning I'm a board certified ob I'm also a board certified hospice and palliative care physician. You can find all of my services and products at belovedholistics.com, including an online shop with discount codes for all of the brands that are at the top of their category from water and hydration to supplements to um, courses. I mean, there's so much there. So go check that out. I also offer private consultation. You can buy packages. I'm also, um, of course, the PRP fertility program is open to all comers. You can find all of that at belovedholistics.com. If you're a midwife and you need collaboration from a physician, I got you. Go to Beloved Holistics. You'll find everything there. If you guys are enjoying the podcast, please support the sponsors. If you haven't left a five-star review, please go do that. It really, really means a lot. And lastly, if something in this episode touched you, share it with somebody that you love. I'm sure that they're going to love it too. We'll see you next week right back here on the Holistic OBGYN podcast. Take care and do no harm. Take no shit. Bye-bye, everybody.